is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 134 for Wednesday, November 13th, 2013. Wednesday, the November 13th. Man, that November. That's right, eh? Yeah, that's. I think that is right. It's Hot that, dog. The time is just flying by. It really is. Flying by, just like you said last week, at one second per second. <laughs> um, that is the speed of time. So listen, I was driving on the highway earlier today, bef- okay. before we started this. Sort of a highway, anyways. I don't want to bore people with the details of the road I was on, but it was a major road that the speed limit is greater than, you know, city roads. Okay. And uh, I'm coming up to the off-ramp to get off the highway, and there's kind of a lineup, bit of a traffic jam, and as we slowly move through, it turns out that some jackass was walking down the off- on-ramp towards the highway. Just just for fun. He's out for a stroll. Well, I don't know, but there was a police car, just a few cars ahead of me, and uh, that police car saw him, turned on the lights, pulled over, and said, um, where do you think you're going? <laughs> Which is a valid question when you uh, consider that he was walking down an on-ramp. So there there are very few highways, uh, sorry, very few sidewalks on the highway. Yeah, no sidewalk where he was walking, but yeah, a, slight, experience. a slight, a little bit of a curb, basically, and he was still yep. on that. Now, then I noticed something weird. This uh, So the highway was going uh, the, under the cross street, and the ramp sort of goes up to the cross street to get off the uh, highway I was on. Yeah, yeah. And parked under the bridge down on the highway, which I didn't notice at first, was a rickshaw. A so, rickshaw. So I'm thinking maybe this, this jackass somehow parked his rickshaw down there and was going back to get it. So he took a wrong turn uh, on his rickshaw. <laughs> I, I guess so. Ended up on the freeway yes decided to park the rickshaw under an underpass right get the hell out of there yep realize ah crap i need to go get my rickshaw and And was on his way back to get his rickshaw when uh, the cops pulled him over you know i don't know 100 percent that it was his rickshaw but why else would he be walking down there it's not like he was confused i don't know no i think the guy in the rickshaw are related yeah, they probably are. They probably are. I, it, it was weird. Anyways, it screwed up my uh, my drive back from the music store, and yeah. uh, here we are now recording a little bit late. But that's okay. That's okay. That is okay. I just wanted to tell you about that wacky story. That's funny. And the uh, moral is don't walk onto the highway. Yeah, or take a rickshaw on the highway. I think there's a speed minimum for uh, for highways. That prevent bicycles and rickshaws from being allowed on uh, on freeways. <laughs> yeah, and probably some scooters too. Yeah, uh, I don't. We don't have a posted speed minimum here that I know of, but there probably is one. Unlike in Atlanta, when we were down there driving around Georgia, there was a posted minimum speed. What was it? Uh, wasn't it forty miles per hour? Forty. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So something like that. Anyways, I know that was on like major interstate highways. So. Anyhow, Jason, we are here to do our weekly feedback show. Awesome. This show is all about feedback for internment, and we are going to start with listener feedback, and after that, we are going to do some extra bonus holy crap mo- did you see that moments. Awesome. Which is very exciting. So let's just dive right in. Okay. Say awesome one more time. Awesome. Listener feedback. All righty. So this first email comes from Kara in Oz, and she wrote a long email and included lots of points, but I included this bit because I think it reinforces how much stuff happened in this episode, and I liked it. So Kara writes, The plague is being handled, the zombies broke the fence and died again, and the plants are bearing fruit. The sun is shining on the survivors. Then we see a lone figure outside. Then that moment when he looks to the side and we see it's the governor watching. A storm is coming. The guys running to the, the guys running the show outdid themselves here. Seriously, Herschel's story was so hard to watch, so hard to see him fighting to keep his faith in the faith uh, in the face of adversity. It was done so well. Then Rick, while fighting the herd, he realized that Carl had changed. Seeing him watch his son firing an assault weapon like a soldier, the look on his face said it all. Hmm. And I think it's just a good summary. We've got the governor happening. We've got 
all this character development with Rick and Herschel. We've got some things going really well, some things not going so well. The you know the zombies coming in, the the sickness, which they've sort of got under control now. But a lot of things were wrapped up. A lot of new things were opened in this episode. Just so much happened, and uh, that was one of the reasons I really liked it. There was a lot to take in, a lot to absorb. There was a there was a lot in this episode. And I think this is a, this is a very nice, uh, almost poetic way of summarizing uh, what's going on. Yeah. The sun is shining on our survivors. It is. At least for a minute. For a little while. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we have uh, an email from Simon uh, from the internet regarding the random kind of healthy guy in the prison cell. Uh, he wasn't looking over his buddy. He was on death watch for his son. Her- Herschel asks him how the boy is doing and soon to be zombie food mentions that he's sleeping and insists on letting him sleep. But they both know he's waiting for his son to turn. Right, so this was a mystery guy that I didn't like from the episode. Right, and just uh, kind of standing in the cell. He was just standing there, and for some reason it didn't occur to me that he was there with his son, which totally makes more sense than just any random person. Um, but I didn't really pick up on the fact that the son was already dead. Now, this, he the son came out really quickly, right, as a zombie and bit his dad, but... Uh, but his dad had said he's just sleeping. Let's let him rest. But he was clearly he was already dead. dead. I don't think he was dead. I think he was. You think he was dead? Dead? Like I, de- I, dead? I think he was. Now they may not have realized he was dead, but I think the uh, implication here is that the kid was dead, and the father was like, I, whether he knew or not, he was like, let him sleep, let him rest, or maybe he was. Uh, he knew he was dead, so he didn't want Herschel to examine him because Herschel would realize he was dead and then, you know, what they would have to do. Right. Um, but maybe the dad was waiting for him to come back before he stabbed him in the head or who knows what his intentions were. But what happened is he got distracted with the zombie out, out in the hall and then his son woke up, came out and bit him and he ended up shooting the blonde-haired lady. So Right. Nothing. Well, I didn't think he was dead. All I right. thought he was sleeping. I took the guy at his word. He's sleeping. Yeah. And uh, we should let him rest. Anyways, it sort of explains what was going on there a little bit more, that it was his son, and that's why he was staying with him. Yeah, I agree with that. Although the only thing I, the only problem I have with that is that um, if, I mean, he must have had a special pass if he was not sick, but he was allowed into sick quarantine. Shouldn't he have True. been, I don't know, outside doing something else? or Maybe he or was faking it. Healthy quarantine. Like, yeah, maybe he was faking it. <laughs> I'm sick. I have to be in here with my son. <laughs> That's some nice faking there, Jason. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay. So who's? did you read that one? I did. Man, we've only done two, and I've lost my count already. All right. Paul from the internet writes, I have to say, although I'm not opposed to a reveal of the governor spying on the prison, it was a little poorly executed. The way he was just standing there, not even that concealed by the bushes, it almost felt like it would have taken one person to just turn around and go, uh, hey, isn't that the fellow with the eye patch we have a blood feud with? Hi, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Philip. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that. I think that would have been hilarious um, and totally silly. But I I agree. I think I said this, too. He's just kind of standing there out in the open. He's not He's even... He's for a walk. It's not even concealed by anything. You think he would be, like, climbed a up a tree or something with binoculars yeah something well little... I've, I've done this very thing you know you get up in the morning because Cl- it's first climbed a morning, tree with right? binoculars that's no you you get up in the morning and you grab your cup of coffee like when you're out at the cottage or you're someplace you know out in the woods and you uh, you get your cup of coffee and you go for a walk and you see what there is to see and you stumble across a prison and you go oh yeah i hate those guys oh well come back later and maybe kill them yeah i don't know i i just think he would have been undercover a little bit more but we also Probably. needed to you know have a clear shot of who he was and i think it was actually kind of an effective shot too of having having our you know the the prison group in the, visible in the background do going about their day in the prison and having him standing there and if he was you know more in the dense bush then maybe they wouldn't have been able to do that as well right so well, well, well. All right, so we have an email from Kent on the internet. Now, this, uh, this this email contains spoilers. The first part of this email is very spoilery for the comic. So Yeah, Kent makes two points, and, and the first part is definitely spoilery for uh, an issue of the comic roughly 16 issues ago. Yeah, so, uh, so be warned. 
Um, when Maggie asked Herschel where Glenn was, he said he was in cell number 100. At this point, I thought he was a goner, but I guess it was just an Easter egg for the comic book fans. So the second point is, I know you guys have some problems with this season, but to me this season is off the charts and mainly due to two previous secondary characters, Carol and Herschel. My opinion, Scott Wilson's performance in this season is so spectacular. I think he should be nominated for an any, Emmy any, Emmy for Supporting Actor. Your thoughts? An any, any Emmy, really. Any Emmy <laughs> for Supporting Actor. Um, so first of all, yes, I agree with that after last night or this week's episode in tournament. Before that, I was not overly impressed with, with Scott Wilson as her. He was fine. He was fine, but I don't think he was anything special. Something about the way he delivered some of the lines, I thought, was just like he was reading off a teleprompter. Right. Now, that is not the case for internment. I thought he did a spectacular job, and if he was going to win an Emmy for a, a particular performance, this one, I think, was absolutely worthy. Right, and you know that actors don't read off of teleprompters when they're doing, uh, you know, dr dramatic television shows. Right? I know that, but what I was saying is, it's, it's generally reserved for the news or talk shows. Yes, no, uh, yeah, talk shows. I mean, even Letterman, they they still use cards. He doesn't use a teleprompter e either, right? He has a, the guy with the big, oh. uh, huge cards that they write on. Why don't they use teleprompters on Letterman? Is Letterman man? Well, I he know has he has to do whatever he wants. If he wants to hire a guy to write on cards and to hold them up next to the camera. That's what's going to happen. I guess so. That's true. Um, teleprompters are cool, eh? We have one at my work because we do some video work sometimes. And right. it's a thing that goes directly in front of the camera, but the camera can shoot through it. Yeah. Which is really neat so that the person's eyes can be straight at the camera and not at a card just off to the side and, and they can still read it. It's pretty cool. I've seen them on TV and the uh, the guys that read off the teleprompter are holding on to a device to either speed up or slow down the uh, the text. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, you can speed it up or slow down. Exactly. That's cool. It's really, really neat. Anyways, I thought in the first four episodes of this season, Herschel's performance was a little bit teleprompter-y. Like wooden? He, a little bit wooden, exactly. Cardboardy. Yeah, and, and that hasn't really been a problem for most of, you know, his duration on the show. But in internment, he knocked it out of the park. Totally right. agree. Totally agree with that. Um, as for the first point... Yeah, maybe we won't say anything more about, about that, except that Glenn was in cell number 100. Yep. And that is definitely a comic book Easter egg. So if you get the reference, then uh, it's not a spoiler. If you don't get the reference, we're not going to spoil anything. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, this next email comes from Herbert in Guatemala. And wow. I think this is probably our first contact from a listener in Guatemala. So congratulations, Herbert. Nice. He says, I just finished watching episode five of this season. Wow. Herschel really did do a complete 180, and there's a really interesting moment where he stops to read his Bible in Dr. S's cell after the chaos. I think he's starting to realize that as much as he wants to believe that this will all work out sooner or later, he can no longer ignore the reality of the situation. Everyone's dying, and unless he wants his girls or him to be next, he better start to change how he acts in the face of danger. I think we're going to see a new Herschel, like the one at the end of the episode, that isn't going to be afraid to fight or run, as Daryl reminded him. Hmm. I think we're going to see a new Herschel, one that's dead. Yeah, buried in the ground, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. um, with multiple wounds to his body. Do you think they'll hang his wooden leg on the, uh, on the cross? <laughs> I personally don't believe his body will be recovered. Um, or it, it might be, but other stuff will be going on but yeah you if think he's were... going to fall down an elevator shaft and they're not going to be able to get it like what's going to happen he'll fall down a well he'll be gone forever Herschel down a well they've done that already with the teabag zombie that's true that was way back in season two wasn't it yeah well I don't know I just think that uh, you know maybe at the end of this this uh, this episode we'll do a brief theory theory section because I think I have a theory of what's going on now it's not an original theory I'm pretty sure lots of people have thought of this so you stole it it's a stolen theory well um I, you know it was, it was kind of on my mind after talking with friend of the show Dave and uh it was it was mostly him that brought it up but since then I've I've heard it on in from other places too okay so, so you stole it from Dave I stole it from Dave and had it okay. confirmed by the internet okay uh not confirmed but confirmed as a theory but anyways we might maybe do that at the end remind me to do that at the end Okay. Because you know I'll forget. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I'll forget too. Well, we'll uh, so see. we have an email from Lori, longtime listener. Now, this one also has uh, two points. We've uh, pulled the t- these two points out of a long, longer email. Yep. Uh, first one is regarding Herschel's decision to lure the walkers out of sight of the children. Don't forget, all the walkers, uh, all the walkers the kids saw prior to the flu were unknown to them, like the walkers at the fence in the fields down the tomb, down in the tombs. Whereas in this episode, the kids are seeing people they've known for six, maybe seven months or longer die from some horrible disease. Herschel doesn't want to further traumatize them. That's a really so, good point as the first is. one. Um, you know, these they, the kids know these people, and Herschel's trying to protect them from seeing their friends getting killed, right? Right. So it's not just a matter of uh, seeing zombies get shot in the face with a shotgun. It's a matter of seeing uh, people they knew get shot in the face with a shotgun. It's a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I fully agree with that. All right. So the second point is regarding the laundry basket of guns. The laundry baskets holding the guns have wheels. Makes sense to me that they wheel them out when on watch, then wheel them under the picnic shelter roof or into the workshop when they're not needed. I laud the prison group for their preparedness. Apparently, they haven't forgotten about the gov. Uh, yeah, I guess so. They could wheel them around because we complained that they were out there, you know, in the elements and just sitting there and so on. But I suppose they could wheel them around a little bit. Yeah, I well, guess. Uh, yeah. Everywhere you go, take take a big laundry basket of guns. I think that's a, a wise precaution. Especially in this uh, situation. No, no. Just generally. Generally. Okay. Keep <laughs> Take your a laundry basket full of guns. Everywhere you go. There you go. Moving right along, Shannon from the internet writes, Hey guys, I was listening to episode 133 and noticed something I found interesting. Chris was talking about Caleb telling Herschel that if he wasn't prepared to lose one, he'd lose them all. And it struck me that this is exactly the situation Carol felt she was in with Karen and David. In her case, there were so many other factors and so many unknowns that taking such a drastic step made her seem rash at best and disturbed and scary at worst. In Caleb's case, it made perfect sense to reserve their extremely scarce resources for someone who might gain real benefit from them. I think one of this season's themes is shaping up not as the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, but the question of when that is true and when it isn't how they make that decision, and how to cope with the consequences. Hmm. So do you see the parallel here between what he was talking about and what Carol did? Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Man, a few words. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think so too. Uh, Carol was trying to, I mean, she was essentially trying to nip the infection in the bud, right? Just kill a couple of people and get it over with. And yes. not let it yeah. spread at all. Um, and, and she was thinking, you know, if I do that, it's going to save everybody, um, which is kind of, you know, what Dr. S was saying, whereby you got to be prepared for people to die and save the ones that have a realistic chance of being saved. Well, there's a difference between, uh, letting someone go when they're, uh, you know, and making them comfortable and, uh, not trying to save them when you know that it's too late and that they're going to pass and actively killing someone, stabbing them in the head, and dragging their bodies out and burning them. Oh, there's there's definitely there's, a difference. But I mean, were the intentions are the or is the the intentions kind of the same? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. There is there's a moral difference. I think a, a very I think there there are parallels, but I think there's a a distinct moral difference between uh, you know making someone comfortable when there's no hope and uh, stabbing someone in the head when you don't know if there's hope. Just because they're sick, you stab them in the head. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about Carol's decision. She didn't really know um, if anyone else was going to get sick. She didn't really know if there was any chance of them surviving. She just took the preemptive move, right, of, yep. of killing them. Yeah. Um, but I can still see the, the parallels here where, you know, you got to maybe let somebody go to save a few other people if they're reacting better to the medication, for example, if, you know, they had medication, or maybe in this case, tea, elderberry tea. So, And, and if you take the, uh, the case of, uh, you know, in, I believe in law, if someone jumps off a 40-story building and is falling to their death, and on the way down, someone from inside a window shoots them in the head and kills them, that's still murder. Right, uh, that's true. Is that a real? Even though they were going to die 
anyway, even if they didn't shoot them in the head. That's that's interesting. Is that a real legal theoretical yes. thing? I believe it is. Interesting. I believe murder is murder regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. If they're okay, well, that that, that works. I mean, murder is murder. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So let's go to the phones. Kyle from Arkansas. You're on uh, Arkansas. God, sorry, Arkansas. You're on the air. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Kyle from Arkansas. And A, I love the show, um, but I just wanted to call in about the most recent episode. I guess it's episode five, Internment. Um, A, it was just a phenomenal episode all around. But uh, so the governor shows up in the end. And so my theory is, is that, you know, they've got the holes in the fence that they showed earlier that are carabined together with, uh, I guess, bungee cord. Uh, I think Carol and Rick at some point go through them when they're down by the water. Um, anyway, the governor could easily, this whole season, have been using those holes to get in, and maybe he's the one that's been feeding the rats to the zombies so that the zombies would come and wreck the fence. Maybe he's been doing lots of things. Maybe he's even responsible for the illness. Um, so that's just my thought. Uh, once again, love the show, and you guys have a great day. Thanks, Kyle. So... All this time, everyone's been like, who was feeding the rats to the walkers? And everyone, the show kind of has left it alone. They haven't revealed that. And a lot of people are speculating that it was Lizzie because she seems so friendly with the walkers. But could it have been an actual act of sabotage by the governor now that we know that he is hanging around, you know, just outside in the prison's back door? Backyard. He's a sneaky little bugger, so <laughs> he might uh, he might have done just that. Not that's the prison's back point. door, the prison's backyard. Sorry, that yeah. sounded wrong. Um, sorry, you think you think it's possible? I think it's I think it's very possible. I do too, and I like the theory a lot. Um, now he had a flashlight, but that's okay. Presumably, he could have a flashlight. Yeah, he's not an idiot. He knows how to use a flashlight. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> do you think he can have, if he can wire up a bunch of fish tanks full of fish heads or zombie heads? He can figure out how to turn a flashlight on and catch a couple of rats. Yeah, that's true. And 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 we do know that those holes are there in the fence from when they cut their way in originally. So humans can get in and out at their leisure. Yes, they can. Hmm. Interesting point. I mean, if you're feeding the zombies, that's fine, but why else would you leave those those dead rat bodies there other than to tempt the zombies and lure them or or entice them to stay in that spot, right? Yep. I think I think Kyle may be on to something, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is revealed that, in fact, the governor's been sneaking in at night and sab- or, and luring the zombies there in, in an attempt to sabotage the, the fence, basically, and weaken it, which hmm. clearly seems to have worked based on the last episode. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, our next email comes from Mark in Baltimore, and this is spoilery for the comic as well, so... If you're not a comic person or you don't want to be spoiled on the comics, please skip ahead a minute or two. But Mark says, you mentioned, well, vaguely suggested to avoid spoiling, that you thought the governor might behead Carol to parallel the comic scene with Tyrese. But why not Herschel? To have the impact it had in the comic, it needs to be the character that has a connection to Rick and Herschel is his conscience, his humanity. And he just left the prison with Michonne, whose katana sword is in the back seat. The governor needs the sword to effect the parallel. Herschel is not one that can escape capture easily outside the prison. I fear that having played the last played the hero in the last episode, we are being set up to lose Herschel. And Bob is the flawed replacement medical guy to the extent future storylines need one. Hmm. So, yeah. I think they made... Over the course of the first five episodes, I think they've made a lot of interesting hints here in that Daryl told Herschel, we go outside the prison, we need to run. Um, And then all of a sudden now Herschel's gone outside the prison with Michonne. They, uh, They specifically showed her putting the sword in the back of the Jeep. I guess she doesn't go anywhere without it, but you would think that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily need to show her loading it in. And now they have. And uh, Herschel's outside and maybe at risk or at, you know, at risk of being captured or something. Because, as I said, Mr. Governor is right there in the backyard. Yep. Uh, Herschel's a gunner. I think so. Um, I don't think it's going to happen next episode. 
but I think it will happen before the midseason break, possibly in the midseason finale. Yeah, I would venture the midseason break is going to be that death. Yeah, I think so too. I have a feeling that our next episode is going to be all governor. It's going to be yeah. governor bottle episode. Yep. I don't know what the details of it are going to be, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we learn a little bit about what he's been doing in the last eight months. Um, or maybe not. Maybe we'll just pick up from, you know, him standing outside the prison there and what he's doing right now. But I, in any case, I think it's going to be all governor. And, uh, you know, maybe at the end of the episode, he encounters Herschel and Michonne out there dumping those bodies or something. But I don't really know. Hmm. I think it's going to be fun to watch, though. I think we sh- we are going to get the backstory of what the governor has been doing over the last eight months. But I'm I'm kind of hoping that we uh, half hoping that we don't get a flashback that somehow we uh, we find out through the actual story about what happened. But I'm also kind of hoping it's not the governor sitting around with those other two guys going, hey, remember that time we did that thing and that uh, that stuff? And then we sat around that time and tried to remember that time we couldn't remember? Remember? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that that's not going to happen. Yeah. That they just talk about what's hap- what happened in the past. I mean, if they just ref- reference things once in a while, like if the, if the episode takes place in the present... And then to explain certain things about what they're doing or why they're living the way they are, you know, or whatever, you know, they reference things that might work okay. But you're right. I don't want them sitting around on park benches talking about, you know, reminiscing about the last eight months. Yeah, because that's just obviously for the audience. It's not, you know, they're not going to say, you know, give, give explicit details about what they did over the last eight months if they were all there. Yeah. Exactly. It's it, it would remind me too much of that scene from the first episode where Her- Herschel listed the members <laughs> yeah. of the council. That's, That's right. Purely for the audience, right? It's not for Rick because he presumably he knows who is on the council. I don't know. Rick was pretty sleepy and you know in his little in his headspace yeah. there, pretty deep. He might he might not might not have known. You may be right. Anyways, All right. so we have an email uh, from Andy in Weston Super Mare in the UK. That is a and... fantastic town or city name, Andy. You looked uh, it up, right? I did look it up. It is a real place. Um, <laughs> Weston Supermare. I mean, that's amazing. I wish that I lived a, there. That's a pretty good name. All right. All right. So Andy says, uh, amazing episode, but did we just witness the end of the flu storyline? If so, then it wasn't a legitimate threat, in my opinion, and was simply used to kill off the Woodbury stragglers, leaving us only left with the zombie-loving little girl, Lizzie, and her sister. I believe a main character had to die for these f- first five episodes to pay off. I'm relieved that they didn't, but I'm also uh, disenchanted by the convenient and selective flu virus. You know, I can see Andy's point here. Um, Nobody, no main character died of the flu that we know of. Yeah, I think you and I both agreed that a main character was going to have to die of this flu for it to have any real meaning. And it turns out that that was Dr. S. Yes, which is a real character. Yeah, doesn't qualify as a main character. Um. You know, I do think there was a lot to like about the storyline. I had trouble with a couple of the episodes out of the first five. But, you know, Andy's right. Nobody, it was kind of a threat that they built up, um, you know, the creators of the show built up kind of as, as hype, but then turns out wasn't really all that substantial as a real threat because all it did was kill the Woodbury Redshirts or the uh, spinoff group, the Woodbury Stragglers. Yeah, the, the Woodbury <laughs> Stragglers. So, I mean, the uh, the threat sort of was the virus that created a whole bunch of zombies within their midst, which had to be dealt with by Herschel and his super shotgun. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was a, a real threat in that, uh, you know, I didn't know if uh, if Herschel was going to die because I, I kind of thought that he would die because of uh, it being his hero episode. Uh, but the the virus itself, I guess, wasn't really a threat. It, was, it uh, you know, Andy's right. It just killed off the uh, all the Woodbury people that we didn't know anyway. You know, I do I do like the idea of zombies being created inside the prison. Right now, the the show could have done more, like lock cell doors and stuff like that, to keep people keep it safer. In that zombies then would wake up in a cell and be stuck in there. But I do like the idea that they came up with a way of making zombies a threat inside the prison. Because when you have those giant fences and you have prison cells and big walls and all that kind of stuff and strong doors, zombies that are outside in the world are just not going to be able to get in. And you do have to manage that, as we've seen them doing, killing them at the fence and so on. But 
life in the prison would be really 100% zombie-free until somebody died of natural causes or an accident or something like that. And, you know, hopefully that's something that would be fairly easy to deal with. I think the flu was effective in that it made zombies a threat in the prison, and it did add some tension there, especially in this last episode with Herschel. Right. Um, But the flu itself, right, not really a threat in terms of killing any of our main characters. It was more used as a device to make zombies scary in the prison, and I think in that way it was effective. Yeah, I I agree. And you can't kill uh, somebody with the plot device shield, apparently. Yeah. no, that's right. Until the shield wears out, and Herschel's, yeah. I think, is on down to like one, one or two percent left. I think. Yeah. Okay, we've got one more email from Mia in Stockholm. Mia says, "If a zombie nibbles your finger, you're screwed. But taking an intubation tube out of a zombie and intubating someone with a compromised immune system who is choking because of internal bleeding is fine. Come on, really? You sure? Okay." The virus is being very picky about how it wants to be spread. <laughs> so Mia well, is saying, you know, that tube was in one guy, then it it was then he turned into a zombie, pulled out of the zombie and stuck right into Glenn. <laughs> I don't think it was stuck stuck into Glenn. Didn't he open up a new uh a new bag and he pulled out rubbing alcohol? Well, I don't know. I didn't Herschel disinfected this. He uh I don't think it was stuck right right into Glenn from uh from the zombie dude. Okay, we may have to go back to the tape to check that. Let's However, go to the tape. Yep. However, um, and if we didn't see that in the episode, and I, I don't really think I saw it. I think I... I if, saw it. If it was there, I we missed it. We had a it. call about it, or a, a, an email about it. We did? Yeah, he was saying that uh, there was something about... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, no. zombie. I, I totally agree with her. If, in fact, it was pulled out of that zombie and stuck right into Glenn... That's kind of gross. Now, the only thing is, the zombie virus, the thing that turns everyone into a zombie, is already in everyone. We know that. Yes. So, you know, sticking that tube into another person just because it was down a zombie throat isn't necessarily going to do anything bad to them because that particular virus is already in everybody. The flu virus, which that guy had, again, Glenn already has too, so I don't think you can get double flu infected double infected um so while it's gross i don't know that there is any downside to using it uh even if it was gross dirty and slimy right so that's all i'm saying yeah so i'm yeah he herschel pulls out some rubbing alcohol and they don't show what he did with it but he's opening up a new package it looks like jason's checking the tape yeah i'm checking the tape uh, yeah, he's uh, ripping open a new package of, with a new tube and sticking that down Glenn's throat. That's a yeah, that's a brand spanking new tube. Okay, so all they needed from that zombie then was the um, the bag. The bag, yeah. Is there a word for that bag? I think it's called a bag. A bag. All right. Or you know, in ER they called it the bag. The bag. But it probably has a medical term that uh, well, nobody uses. What do you call the 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 old fashioned thing that you um, squeeze together to bellows? Yeah, to fan a fire. It's called yeah, they're called bellows. That's not the same word, is it? No. Okay, I don't know. Anyways, so new tube, same bag, and uh, so even if even though it being covered in zombie goop may not have done anything other than lubricate it a little bit to go down his yeah. throat, it's it, not obvious. Uh, like he. All you see is, uh, like, there's a lot going on in that scene, So and it's a lot of uh, camera work that's looking primarily at Glenn. Mm-hmm. So you see the, the scenes that are clear is uh, Herschel running up to uh, Maggie and Glenn with the stuff he got off the zombie, and then there's a bunch of commotion, 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 and then he starts intubating uh, Glenn. Okay. But that commotion, 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 commotion includes uh, a bottle of alcohol and Herschel ripping open a bag and a fresh, clean, looks like a clean tube is going down uh, Glenn's throat. Okay. Whereas the scene when he's running up to it looks like a very dirty tube. Okay. Keep your dirty tube to yourself. That's right. Okay, thank you to everyone wrote in um, and uh, or called in. It's great to hear your feedback and comments all the time. We are now going to move on to, into some bonus Holy Crap, Did You See That moments. Holy Crap, Did You See That? And the first one we're going to start with 
is a call from Joe in New York. Hello, guys. This is my holy crap moment of the day, and I'm Joe from New York City. Uh, what I would like to say is, holy crap, did you see Scott Wilson's performance? I thought this was the single greatest performance that we've seen in the series. There have been a lot of good ones and some great ones, but it was nice to see the most distinguished member of the cast uh, finally get his due, and I just thought he really knocked it out of the park. The, the gravitas and believability. Um, I hope we don't lose him because uh, he was just that amazing. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Joe. Reiterates the fact that Scott Wilson was amazing, but I'm afraid I think we are going to lose him. Yeah, but that, that's what they do. You never they know. make someone who's a background character, they make him amazing, and then they kill him off. Yep. All right, so we have uh, Wesley from Facebook. This week's holy crap, Maggie shooting that one walker through the draw. Draw. Jaw. <laughs> Didn't even flinch. 5,000 badass points. 5,000 badass points for Maggie right there. All right, so if you keep in track, she's got 7,833 badass points total and just 5,000 from this one shot. Where did she get the other ones? She's just general badass. All right. I allotted to, uh, them to her earlier. Should What we need to do is hire an intern to keep track of the badass points assigned to all of our various characters That's right. from this moment on since uh, Wesley invented the system. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, retroactively gave her the additional badass points. I suppose we could go back and, and check it, but then if we did that, Michonne would win already. So maybe starting from right now. I, I don't know. know. She didn't start till the uh, to the third season. That's true. Rick Rick so, probably has a good backlog of ba- backlog of badass points too. Well, you know, waking up in a coma and getting out of that, uh, you know, that hospital gives him some badass points right off the get go. That's true. You know, he's in a coma until people stop fussing over him. And then he got up. You know, I could see this system being very controversial, <laughs> as in right. what qualifies for badass points and how many. I think it's quite obvious that, you know, shit, that was badass <laughs> and give them a, an allotment of points. <laughs> All right. And maybe the allotment can be completely random. <laughs> yeah, the points don't matter. The points don't matter. All right. This one is from James in Pittsburgh. He says, I'll start off by saying I screamed like a little girl when I saw who was keeping his eye on the prison. But for me, the holy crap moments occurred elsewhere. After all of the problems with outsiders and the recent governor attack, that would be in season three, you would think Carl would be a bit more hesitant to open the gate for a minivan filled with unknown people. I find it hard to believe Daryl and company called ahead to tell them they had switched vehicles. That's true. Maybe, um, now this is going back to the original Battlestar Galactica. Actually, even the remake, and uh, I'm sorry, this has got to be a spoiler. Okay, thank you. I'm going to talk about Battlestar Galactica. Good for you. Uh, so this actually happened in both the original Battlestar Galactica and the in the reimagining Battlestar Galactica. And I remember watching it in the reimagining going, hey, that's cool. They took that from the original. So what happens is Starbuck uh, basically uh, gets caught behind enemy lines without a ship and has to jury rig flying a Cylon Raider and has to go back to uh, back to the fleet as a Cylon, and he, they have to recognize him as uh, uh, as Starbuck. Hey, more or her. her as Starbuck right. in, the, in the reimagining. So what happens is Starbuck uh, wiggles his wings. He kind of does his little little wiggly motion, and everybody's like, oh, it's Starbuck. And in uh, in the reimagining, uh, I believe she painted don't shoot on the bottom of the, uh, uh, of the Cylon Raider. Okay. So... Uh, uh, maybe it's the same thing. Maybe just the way Daryl was driving that he was driving up and maybe he wiggled the minivan a little bit and everybody's like, oh, that's so Daryl. And they <laughs> open the gates. <laughs> that Only Daryl would weave like that. that exactly. You maybe know. That, was, uh, it, that was it. Could have been something similar, like maybe just waving out the window. Although it was dark, it was the middle of the night. and now Maybe uh, they honked in a special pattern. They They might have a secret honk. Yeah. That's like that's I like that. Although you think we would have heard that, but anyhow, yeah, Carl just opened that gate. They drove right in, and uh, and uh, it didn't occur to me that they left in a different vehicle and they returned in a minivan. So yeah, anyway, right, Carl gets minus three bad badass points for that. Minus three, because that was <laughs> okay. pretty lame. All right, good. Uh, or should badass points be like karma that you just gain more karma or you don't gain karma? Uh, no, I think you can you can remove you can lose points. Well, okay. I, I think Min- so. Minus I think, three for Carl. I think it makes sense. All right. All right, what? so we have an email from uh, Kara in Oz. The two metal bins 
uh, that got that they got the weapons from. Hopefully labeled rifles, and one on one, and the other named ammo. <laughs> Helpfully labeled rifles on one and ammo on the other. That's right. <laughs> so uh, that's her holy crap. That's uh, that's uh, a good one, you know, to make sure you don't pick up some ammo when you really want a rifle. <laughs> yeah, because it's not obvious. No, not obvious at all. If I had a, if I was in the zombie apocalypse and stuck in a prison and I found a label maker, I would label the bins. Oh, you'd be labeling everything, man. Yeah, I would label the bins. I'd label things rifle, and I'd label things bullet. You'd probably bullet casing because <laughs> yeah, they're two different things. You would probably uh, even suborganize, as you were saying, into various different categories. That's right, and label them all. All right, Darcy from the internet writes, My holy crap moment from episode five was when Herschel discovers Sasha in her cell lying down, and just before uh, the ads, you see another person open their eyes as a walker. Come back from ads, and Herschel is just there watching Sasha, and the walker is nowhere to be found. Is this a possibility, possibly a continuity error, or is there another reason for it? Well, I have an answer. I, I think the... Um, I think the I don't think it's an error, obviously, because that walker just didn't come out of her cell yet. And it's shortly after that scene is where the zombie gets Herschel in the ground and all hell starts to break loose. So right. I think we just got a little bit more of Herschel treating Sasha before the walker came out and found them. Right. You know, maybe that walker got out of bed and went the wrong way at first and bumped into the wall a few times. And it took her a while to turn around and come out the door. It could be. You know, could be. I've, I've, uh, walkers ain't that smart after all. So, uh, this is the last one. Is that right? I think so. All right. So, we have a holy crap from Bobby in Ohio. The new crisp and clean sheets that they use to cover the bodies in the sick ward. Crisp, clean sheets. Yeah. It's been a couple of months. I guess, uh, how many, how many sheets do you think, uh, a prison has? I would expect a lot. Yeah. Probably quite a few. Um, and probably some pretty serious laundry facilities too. Well, yeah, but there's you're not going to be uh, able to use them now. No, no, that's true. Um, but they probably have... Do you think they have two sets of sheets for every bed? So one can Maybe be... more. More? You don't think they're like they're washing one set while the other's being used? Well, I think there's probably... Well, how, how many set, sets, of, sets of sheets do you have per bed in your house? Well, more than two, but we're also not living in a jail. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe they have three, so they can have a cycle of three going. I don't know. I'm just trying to estimate the number. Okay, so if you have, uh, let's assume three. Okay. Just for fun. Uh, and how many beds do you think are in the prison? A couple of hundred? Let's say a couple of hundred. Okay, so that's uh, 600 sheets. And how many uh, people are there in our little band of survivors? I don't know. No more 20? than... Yeah, I mean, no more than... Uh, I'd say no more than 30 at the peak, maybe, with all the Woodbury red shirts there. So 30 people, so 600 sheets divided by 30 people is, what, 20 sets of sheets per person? Yep. So that's a lot of sheets. It's a fair bit of sheets. and you, But you'd probably go through 20 sets of sheets in a few months. Like, if they've been there four or five months, uh, well, you think they would go through 20 sets of sheets? Well, not really. I mean, I have two reasons for saying that. One, you'd probably ration them so that you maybe would use sheets longer than you would sort of in the real world before you take them off your bed. Yeah, but if you've got a room full of sheets, who cares, right? No. I, that, you know, there's, there's very few comforts in this world. Clean sheets is going to be one of them if you have them. Okay, but then when you run out, you're screwed. So it's just like food. When you run out, well, you're you're not you're not going to eat anymore, and that's important. Uh, so you ration the food so it lasts longer. So even if you have twenty sets of sheets per person, you want those twenty sets of sheets maybe to last years and not months, right? I don't know. I think I'd wash sheets if uh, if I needed sheets. There's a creek, and there's one other thing. Oh, that's the thing. That's it's the other a muddy thing too. Creek. You can you technically can wash stuff out in rainwater and such, but the other reason I say that is I recently heard, <laughs> and this is uh, going to be revealing, I recently heard that the, your average single man yeah. um, changes his bed sheets four times a year. Oh, wow. Which is not very much. No, it is not. <laughs> and that's single men, like married men or men with husbands, wives, partners, or families tend to do it more often or somebody in the house does it more often anyways. Single right. single dudes four times a year. So, you know, at I loved when I was when I was a bachelor, I loved clean sheets <laughs> every night. 
every not every night, but it was night? definitely more often than four times a year. I, I mean, agree. There were slumps. Don't get me wrong. There were slumps. Yeah. But uh, I just, uh, I you know, I grew to absolutely love clean sheets. No, I agree with you. I think there's almost nothing nicer than getting into a clean, fresh sheet bed. Yeah. Although, if you if you figure that you know single dudes change them four times a year, that means you can go five years on twenty sets of sheets. Right, and so, so nobody's changed their sheets yet, or at least the uh, the single men haven't. Right, <laughs> that's right. Um, so, yeah, twenty sets of sheets could last you a long time, and if you even ration them, you know, um, better than that, you could maybe go ten years on twenty sets of sheets. Right. So that's all you need is twenty sets of sheets. So, bottom line is there are an awful lot of extra sheets in this prison, and uh, maybe they would save one or two nice, clean, fresh ones for putting over zombies and then stabbing them in the head. But you that, know, if I if I was in a prison with six hundred sets of uh, clean sheets, I would be using clean sheets for everything. I'd use them for tablecloths. I'd go on picnics. I'd set up hammocks. <laughs> I'd put up uh, stuff to you know uh, big umbrellas to keep the sun off. I would be using them to cover the windows. I mean, they obviously used them to cover the uh, the doors uh-huh. of their prisons. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'd be using them for everything. I'd make a what do you call those things where you wrap around yourself and you put a baby in it. Well, I, I, like a sarong is a is a wrap type. Yeah, clothing you have thing. a sarong. I, I don't think I'd wear a wear a sarong <laughs> because I, I actually own a sarong. <laughs> of course, uh, you do. That, that it was given to me as a gift when I was over in Asia, and I've never actually worn it anywhere. Uh, I've used it as a tablecloth. <laughs> what about a kimono? Do you own a kimono? I do not own a kimono. Okay, but you. But I do sarong. own some sheets. But if I had that many sheets, I'd be using sheets for everything. A, a thing you can I'd hold label a, them and then put them up. A thing you can hold a baby in, I think, is called a sling. Right, generally, so I'd make that to carry firewood. Oh, that's a good idea, right? So I'd be using it for I'd be using sheets for everything. You know, it comes back to the whole hitchhiker's guide towel thing. The towel is the most useful thing you can have with you if you're gonna hitchhike around the universe. Bring your towel. It yep. can dry you when you're wet. It can keep you warm when you're cold. It can be used as a pillow. You can use it to put your feet up. You can use it to cover yourself if you are without clothing. There is no end to what a towel can do. So with that many extra sheets, I think maybe you're right. They they could survive on, like, replace the fence with sheets. You could use it as a, uh, a teddy bear if you're feeling lonely. That's right. That's right. There's all kinds of that. Anyways, who knew that one short holy crap moment would spawn such a conversation on sheets? Yeah. Incredible. It's important, important information that everybody needs to have. It really is. And with that... We're going to wrap this uh, episode up already. It feels, uh, it feels like it just flew by, Jason. Did. You know, 40 minutes or 45 minutes of, uh, of podcast for us is like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the way we do things. Let's talk for another hour. Yeah, why not? So uh, this guy was walking onto the highway, and, and we already <laughs> covered that. We covered that, Chris. Yeah, sorry. Um, but right. w- let's talk for a second about a way that people can help out the podcast. How about that? Okay. Sure. Um, as you know, we've got some. Sh- <clears throat> excuse me. We have some shirts available. If you go to our website and click on the menu option for shirts and iPhone cases, I think it's called. There's a few listed there. And um, if you listen to the main show from earlier in the week, you know that I added a couple of more shirts. Uh, so if you like one of those, would really appreciate it if you pick one up. No pressure, of course. If you don't like them, fair enough. <laughs> right. Um, we've also, uh, you know, we've also recently joined the, um, Amazon program. So if you would like to go and do some shopping at Amazon, you can first visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com and it will redirect you through over to Amazon, basically using our affiliate link. And that means that everything you buy at Amazon, uh, a small little tiny portion comes to us. And uh, as I have said before, it all goes into, you know, hosting costs for the audio and any other costs associated with the podcast, which there are some. So it's an easy way to support us that doesn't cost you anything. And if you're shopping at Amazon anyways, why not hit through Amazon.TalkingDeadPodcast.com and uh, give us a tiny little cut. Yeah, and Christmas is coming, so Amazon's going to get very popular very soon. Do all your Christmas shopping there when you're buying presents for your, for your self, 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 <laughs> family, <laughs> friends, whatever. You're gonna do it on Amazon. You know you are because you don't want to leave the comfy chair in front of your computer or TV. So, right. so shop on Amazon. But first, go to Amazon. Dot talkingdeadpodcast. Dot com, 
and uh, do that. And it uh, would really help, and we would really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, if you want to contact us for any other feedback, you can give us a call at one 483 9662 It's toll-free. You can tweet us at Talking Dead on Twitter, or you can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. And, of course, there is good old-fashioned email, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Anything else, Jason? Nope. Very good. I'm then. good. You are good. You are good. You're excellent. I'm- I'm content with this podcast episode. Perfect. Well, our next podcast will be coming to you from a remote location. I'll be in Regina, Saskatchewan, and you will be in your home in in uh, Toronto, Ontario. That's correct. And uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm going to first have <laughs> I'm sure to... it'll be fine. If I can record from Calgary, you can record from Regina. I'm pretty sure they have the internet in Regina. Uh, I'm just going to have to... You should call ahead and ask. Yeah. You know, you just you don't want to mess that that stuff up. You should check. No, you're right. You never know. Um, what else? Uh, well, we're going to have to... I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to watch The Walking Dead on Sunday night. That could be interesting. Um, hopefully, I can just download it from iTunes again. Yeah, if just they have get up internet. at 2 o'clock in the morning, download it, yeah. and then watch it, and then go back to bed. And then go back to bed. Good idea. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, if I can't get it, you know, actually live on Sunday night, we will see. Right. No matter what, though, we will do our best to have a regularly scheduled podcast for you, recapping that episode and uh, doing our main Holy Crap Did You See That segment. So until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.